Welcome to Half a Cinch. Uh, this is a music appreciation podcast where we talk about albums from 50 years ago. And some of them we know really well, some of them we don't. And uh, today we're joined by Jonas Trope, singer, Hi. songwriter, uh, comedian, martial arts instructor, uh, sommelier. He's still doing that uh, too? No, no. I'm a winemaker, but not a sommelier. Uh, we'll get into the difference later. Um, so Jonas, right off the top, what is a cinch? So cinch to me has always meant like something that's easy, right? Mm-hmm. But clearly half a cinch means half a century. Oh, that's correct. The second answer was correct. It's half yeah. a century. Or it could be a tightening of something, like cinching down a, uh, those are, those, the first one I said and the second one I said are the actual meanings of that. But yeah, we can come up with whatever. That's fine. I, I'm glad we got the actual meanings right out of the way. Hmm. Okay, great. Uh, <laughs> thanks for, uh, thanks for being here with us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, we are talking about Paul Simon's album from 1972, self-titled, and you're you're a Paul Simon fan, right, Jonas? I enjoy Paul Simon a lot. So, uh, was it was it martial arts that brought you to Paul Simon, or yeah, vice, or vice versa? No, it was it was the first way, martial arts first. Uh, he's actually a I don't know if you guys knew this world champion kickboxer. So. Oh. That, oh, that, that, I, are you sure? I, I think it. I think on Wikipedia it said beatboxer, world champion beatboxer. <laughs> I would be equally surprised if he was a world champion beatboxer as well. Yeah, uh, and we're pretty, also we're also common, pretty common name. They're probably oh, who's that talking? Oh, uh, that's that's probably. Jr. By the way, Jr.'s here too. Hi. Uh, oh, hey, Jr. There how, probably there how, probably is a Paul Simon that is a world champion kickboxer. That's <laughs> gonna say. <laughs> uh, Hi actually, guys. Actually, it might be Simon Paul. He, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, <laughs> the younger brother of Logan Paul, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Jr., how familiar are you with uh, this album? Not as familiar. Of course, heard a couple of the songs from it, like most probably have. Um, but yeah, I came to Paul Simon through you could you could can call me Al music video when I was a kid. So. Not so much this one, some of the others more, I would say. Yeah. And uh, you, Jonas, you being a Paul Simon fan, where, where does this album rank in your... Uh, it's in it's your very list? okay. It's very okay? okay. Very uh-huh. okay. I listened to it, tw- I've listened to it previously. I've listened to it twice today. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, I mean, there are the two great, great songs off of here, and then everything else is very okay. Okay. All right. Well, I... Yeah. I don't really. I didn't know this album at all, and uh, I, I actually, I really enjoy it. I, I mean, I'm, I know Paul Simon as well as any like average person. You know, I can't say that I'm like, like a huge fan, but I know his stuff. And this album, I never heard it before, except for, of course, the singles. And yeah, yeah I, I enjoyed it. Um, another album, real quick. Um, the uh, so the overview of this, he recorded it at several different cbs studios uh la san francisco new york and a little bit in paris i don't know like what broke it up um what else uh 
Yeah. Oh, so he was like teaching uh, songwriting classes at NYU leading up to this album. And classes. Oh yeah. Oh, well, Helm, who was the drummer for the band, he taught. No, he didn't teach. He went back to school and took drumming classes after the band. The second album came out. I think. Nice. Crazy. Right. Yeah. This was this was something he did. Like this was right after he broke up with with Art. And he started doing that, and he started showing a big interest in world music, which obviously that's his thing. Um, What's great about Paul Simon is you can always tell like what he's been listening to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you turn on a mother and child reunion, you're like, oh, I, I wonder what style of music Paul has just discovered. Yeah. Uh, and, and since you mentioned it, we'll just we'll get right into the track list, and, and yeah, that's that's the opener. It's like a, you know a big single off of it. It, this is uh, this is the only one he did not record at CBS Studios. He he went down to Kingston, and he recorded with Jimmy Cliff's band, his backing band, on this one. And they just did the music. He didn't record any of the vocals yet. He didn't even have an idea for the song. He just he just really wanted to do a reggae song in Jamaica, and I I guess he was like real. He was real awkward about it, real nervous about it, because you know, here's this here's this white American. He wants to come down and just be like, you know, teach me your ways. Sure. And well, it's good that he like used Jimmy Cliff's band, and he's not like, I'm gonna get a bunch of people from Brooklyn and <laughs> yeah, right. no, no, whatever get... I think reggae is. He he did the right way. It, it was just, this is definitely a a, a track that like was kind of separate from the rest of everything else he was doing for the album and and he just like kicks it right out of the gate with this one just mm -hmm. open opens it up with this one you almost don't think it's his song you're almost like is this a is he covering someone and i believe it was covered immediately by someone else the same year but yeah that's i don't know i i i, I knew it was his song but it, it's just so funny because it is very legit very legit reggae for that time period too great tune yeah so he he went back to new york and he recorded the vocals and here's some other little facts the the title of it came from something he's read on a chinese menu a chinese restaurant menu so hey there's the world music right there we get a reggae song we get a yeah. chinese menu title um <laughs> And then the uh, the lyrics, I guess he was inspired by the first time that he actually experienced death personally. And that was his, his family dog got hit by a car. And that's where he sort of got the idea for these lyrics, which you, I mean, you, you like, you hear the lyrics and you're thinking like, oh, this is like in a tragic event, you know, like this is, this is something that like, you know, like a globally, maybe not global event, but something like, you know, human, not, yeah not a dog getting hit by a car <laughs> but it's still that's still very sad it's a very it's a very sad thing that have happened to little little polly simon and um, like his uh blood on the tracks isn't it isn't it like mostly songs about his divorce and how <laughs> sad and angry he is and yeah isn't the blood on the tracks for dylan it's all about his divorce and shit yeah jr do you know I don't know. It's, I believe it sounds right. Get up! No, <laughs> no, no we're, we're not talking about Bob Dylan right now. This is this is the other guy, 
talking about this the other is guy. Bob, about Bob Simon. <laughs> Just about no. the top villain of New York. Uh, uh, so the 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 backing there's like some really great backing books on uh, this song too the, the only song that has the backing books one of the backing singers is sissy houston mm. mother mother of whitney houston nice uh, yeah i love the backing vocals on this track yeah i they i mean it makes it, it makes really the whole thing. uh yeah so oh, yeah moving on track two duncan this one like this is where like you could see Paul Simon's influence on like modern sort of indie music because it mm-hmm. it makes me think of like a Decemberist song. It's like you know it's a, yeah. it's storytelling, you know, sort of thing, and it it's like it it's not really got like dark moments, but definitely like you know cheap motel sort of and almost like a, <laughs> when he like the, in the verse where he like he meets the girl and she's like reading from the Bible and singing songs. You you get sort of like I, I read I read somewhere someone interpreted it as being like a like a, like a sex cult like a, so like a member of a sex cult that uses like so someone Pentecost to- yeah some someone brought up like um, uh, when talking about it the what were they called Children of God later known as the Family which was like mm. kind of a well known sex cult in the sixties. Yeah, the Phoenix, the Phoenix family was in it, right? River Phoenix and all of them. Yeah, their family were part of it. Now, no, this was just like one person's interpretation of the song, but yeah, I, that's I just, crazy. I thought that was interesting. Uh, the The flutes were done by members of a group called Los Incas, like kind of a well known Andean folk group. They've like they've worked with uh, you know Simon Garfunkel and lots of other people. No, no. say that that was my least favorite part of this song <laughs> oh the flutes <laughs> was it was it just like it was it just too like uh like pasted in there almost yeah. like like just like, i like world music and here's here's uh you know here's my copy and paste world music part yeah that's how I, it, well yeah my modern pro tools ear now too can't handle those instruments that are like almost recorder-ish that teeter on being in tune and you're yeah. just like oh, waiting for it to be out of tune a little. I would say those kind of fall under that category. Luckily, Paul Simon never uses that ever again on this album. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I have to say I was really, I was really um, drawn to the line, the very last line in the song, where he's like just playing guitar and thanking God for my fingers, which yeah. is I don't know. It's it's just a it's a really good line because it's one of those things where you you know like you bless you bless the little things that you have in life you know you know that you kind of take for granted yeah and him he actually got that he got that from a greek diner menu i heard that one (laughs) sorry sorry (laughs) blessed little fingers it's it's just it's just a gyro plate this is a fancy little gyros (laughs) um all right the next one uh track three everything put together falls apart it was just sort of like that's an okay song it's about drugs yeah, I mean, what what else can you really say about it? In drugs and his failing marriage. <laughs> yeah, the two the two running themes for sure. Yeah. on it. Um, uh, you know what's next? Oh yeah, run that body down. Which uh, actually, this this one I I I like. This one was a pretty good. One. And the, another one. It's just it's about like the decay of his marriage. And anyway, the, the what? Huh? Yeah, it is. It's a it's about his failing marriage. 
Or it could also possibly be uh, about drug addiction. You know? Yeah. Oh, I mean, and not only does he name drop himself, he he, he name drops his wife like right in there. So. <laughs> I really liked the like melody of this. Yeah. I don't. My, throughout my listening to music forever, I've always been a melody first, and then maybe ten years or so down the line, I'll figure out what the words are, or if yeah. I decide I want to play it or sing it, I'll learn the words then. But it's sure. I've always been drawn to melodies more than more than words. Uh, but I really enjoyed the melody on this one. And you know, I got the falsetto parts. It's so pretty. Paul Seven has such a pretty voice. Yeah, yeah, he does for sure. I prefer him to Art uh, any day, any day. Um, yeah, I also i <laughs> uh, i also thought it was it was kind of cool that when he mentions his doctor. This is kind of like the old joke where it's like, where it's like, oh, you know, you always think of a doctor as being a male, like, oh, you, you know, you're sexist or whatever. But his doc, his doctor was a woman, and this doctor's a woman bit in 1972. <laughs> yeah, half a century ago, he was on. Uh, the the next song, Armistice Day. Uh, I love the the fucking little guitar riff in this song. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. It's like one of the most like standout riffs on the whole album. Yeah. See, weirdly, that did not seem out of place the same way the flutes did. Okay. Yeah. On this mostly acoustic album, the, you know, the electric guitar did not seem. I'm thinking of the right part, right? Armistice Day. The like, it, I think it's acoustic, but it's that like that riff that's just sort of like. Maybe I'm thinking of Paranoia Blues or something instead. Never mind. But, Delete yeah. that. <laughs> I I don't even want to try to attempt to like uh, imitate the guitar riff with my mouth, but wow, wow, <laughs> not at all. It's not like that at all. It's it almost sounds kind of like a detuned sort of like maybe drop D or something, but it's yeah, that's right. what I had. I had like it's that it uh, it sounds like an open D tuning or something, which is really oh, really yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I it's okay. I I know what you're talking about now. Yeah. yeah and um let's see yeah so that one and the the song before that was um uh, a guy named jerry Hahn. uh he's like a famous jazz musician jazz guitars we'll, we'll get the personnel later but you know that this is unrelated to this album but it is still paul simon related the guy that plays guitar on the beginning of the boxer that like mm. little run he may play guitar the entire time but that is Dina Carter's father, Dina Carter of Strawberry Wine fame. Mm, 17. Yeah. Mm. Hachalai Moon. Nice. saw everything. <laughs> Roy Carter Jr. I don't know. If, that's not huh. an interesting factoid, but. It is interesting. interesting. Everything we say on the show is interesting. <laughs> uh, so anyway, Arms of States, that's, you know, that's a political song, obviously. And it, you know, it, it, it had me thinking about like, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the Hoover, the Hoover town that like kind of erected on the White House lawn back in, uh, you know, like 1919, something, it was the, the, you know, the World War One vets that wanted their like, their bonuses and they, and uh, they created that whole like Hoover town on, of, you know, tents and shacks and stuff on the White House lawn. It's, it's just what, you know, I envision listening to the song 
What else? I've been listening to um, an audiobook about the Nuremberg trials, which I know is not Armistice Day. Sure. World War, but still the Germans are the bad guys. Yeah. But I just couldn't get, I mean, I got through the song, but I would always, I kept getting distracted by jumping from, you know, Armistice, whatever. Anyway, I started thinking about the Nuremberg trials and got real sad and had to turn everything off. <laughs> Uh, but that's okay because the very next song, Picture Spirits, right back up, right? It's I'm the, not familiar with this one. It's it's the you know it's the big one. It's uh you know me and Julio down by the schoolyard, and I, I was reading how there's lots of debate as to what was the crime that that Mama Pajama saw, and Paul Simon was asked and he was like, I don't know, I don't know what it was. He wrote the song and he doesn't know what the crime was. It's but the what, vein of Paul Simon. <laughs> Whatever it was, it was illegal. Do you have a theory on what it was? Uh, uh, no, I don't. I don't at all. Jr. Yeah. No. Nope. No theories. No. Well, I always assumed it was a stabbing. I don't know why, and that's ultra violent, but. I feel like it was a stabbing for some reason. Yeah, I, that's not a terrible guess. In the 70s, or stabby in right the schoolyard. She pulled out of bed, too. She saw that. Yeah. Well, I, Corona was a neighborhood in Queens where he grew up. So stabbings in Queens, eh, yeah, I can see that. Um, <laughs> the, the, the percussion on this song is, is really kind of like what makes it so like lively. You know, you got the, the, the cool, like... Uh, I don't know what it's called, but you know, it's like it's like a little box you put your hand inside, and it gives it that that little that noise that was that's so like you know that stands out in the song, and no, all that. It sounds like a straw getting pulled in and out of it. Yeah, exactly. This it's like yeah, the straw in the cup noise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So this song, uh, I you got you guys like this song? Do you think? think there are a lot of songs that are wonderful songs that never ever need to be played again. Like I never need to hear, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Do you think this falls under that? I, I personally have never really been a huge fan of this song, but I, you know, if I, if I hear it, I'm not, I'm not going to turn it off. Yeah. But. I was pleased that it was on this, but I, but there were, I would have been more pleased if there were other more famous ones. Kodachrome guy, you've always been a big Kodachrome. <laughs> I am, I am, I am. Which is the very next year. Yeah. So, I mean, when it when it comes to like the two biggest hits on this, I I would probably take uh, you know Mother and Child Reunion over this one. Yeah. Well, and a lot of those guys <laughs> went on to play in Toots. I mean, so again, it's that song is so legit sounding. That song is so hard to beat. I would personally not make it the first song on my record. I would have made it the last, but it's hard to it's hard to compete with that. But I feel like he was really trying to concentrate on the on on it as two sides, you know, like a like a record. So mm -hmm. I get they both have really strong openings. And that's yeah. Cool. And do you, do you think this is like a? You think this was like a a sort of a label record label sort of thing where. If you were you're your first single that you release and people are going to know it really well before the album comes out, they're they're like, just go ahead and make it like the first song because it's the one that people have heard and they're familiar with. 
and it will like ease them into the album sort of thing. I mean, that might have been a thing back then. Obviously, you know, it's not a thing that happens today so much. Well, there's all this stuff about this record, right? Because I don't know how much any of you guys looked into it. I'm a huge dork, but like his first record, solo record, he mm -hmm. didn't release in, in America till 81. So yeah, this is tech technically the first solo record people heard. Yeah. So that song is the first actual song most Americans heard other than getting like bootleg copies of his first solo which is probably impossible back then, <laughs> but you could do it if you worked yeah. in radio probably um, or the business. But so that's the first song. A lot of, I get why he stacked the deck there with that tune, but it's just hard to compete with that one after that. But um, I don't know when I read that about the record, I thought that was very interesting that, you know, um, yeah. Yeah. yeah so, his his so. first record was like, yeah, it was, it was only in the UK. It was like only for like a couple of months in 1969. Was it released in the U.S.? What's on that first record? Oh, I don't know. And and there's a huge gap. It was like a seven-year gap in between that first and, and second album, which is kind of unheard of, really, in this era. But um, that first one is. Uh, anyway, uh, moving on to track seven. This is actually, I would say, this is probably my favorite song on the album, just I, because of the melody, because of like the. It, and it's, it's got, I don't know, it's got sort of a, uh, uh, I don't know, sort of a, a modeling tone to it. I don't know necessarily, mm -hmm. that's why I like it, but uh, Peace Like a River, it's another like political song. And there's, there's a verse in there that will like really like kind of like hit home to like today when it was like, uh, oh, what's the line? Um, um, something about misinformation uh i'll try to look up the line anyway he's, he says something about uh uh we were led by misinformation and we didn't know if you know plans were changing day by day i'm like uh isn't that kind of what we're living through right now yeah i was gonna make a joke about how it could be written today but that's not really a joke <laughs> but you have to laugh at it whether it's a joke or not because if you're not laughing you're crying and, uh, <laughs> half, half a cent on and we're still <laughs> well it's funny it's funny because i i feel like we're about a half a cent backwards in a, in like four four to eight years i feel like we went back 40 to 50 years because we're right back to you know probably were what they were feeling at least a little bit of what they were feeling back then oh. um and a which was a little bit of what the hoover town was feeling it we gets better every time but it's still sucking every 50 years or whatever uh the line is uh misinformation followed us like a plague nobody knew from time to time if the plans were changed and they didn't even have facebook <laughs> no <laughs> uh Okay, next one is uh, Papa Hobo, and I I just I I like this one too just because the the storytelling of it. It's a nice little. It's not it's not really a, a love letter to Detroit because it doesn't really paint Detroit in a great way, but and it's all in the songs. The character is like wanting to leave Detroit, and uh, who's Papa Hobo? Do they never really? I mean, he mentions him a couple times, but I think we're all Papa Hobo a little bit. 
if you really think about it. I kind of like to think that he always, I, I kind of think, I hope he just answers I don't know to every question he gets asked when people <laughs> ask him about it. I don't know. He's kind of curmudgeonly, isn't he? That seems like a very. Yeah, he's not. He seems very soft. Yeah, he's, he's kind of soft. So he's probably, yeah, I don't know who he is. He just, he came out of me one day. I, <laughs> I, I do really appreciate like how his songs kind of are these little settings and stories with these characters and, and you're only getting like the middle of the story maybe or just the beginning you know mm -hmm. i don't know that's kind of cool that's it's it's Short one of the reasons, yeah it's one of the reasons i've always like i've always liked tom waits because he'll he'll set a scene with characters and and like the landscape and then he'll never explain why you're there or who these people are uh the next little song is a little instrumental it's kind of like a an epilogue to the Papa Hobo story. And it's cool with a little, the gypsy jazz little thing here and the, the violin. He's on this. Yes, yes. He he actually gets like a, a co-writing credit. The only song that someone else gets a co-writing credit on. And yeah, if you don't know who this guy is, he, he created uh, a very famous jazz, French jazz group with Django Reinhardt. And uh, like you'll hear his uh, like you listen to Django Reinhardt he's you know he's all over the place and it's amazing he's great he's amazing. Uh, David Grisman for a little bit toward the end of his life. I don't know. I don't really know that much that much about him. Definitely sounds that sounds right. Uh, uh I I'm glad that you actually said his name because I was scared. I didn't really know how to pronounce it. Uh, Stephen Grappelli. Yeah. I don't know how to pronounce it either. It's very <laughs> but, but we're going with that. That's fine. It's it's canon. Yeah. Uh, he did he did play with Grisman and also, okay. you know, by extension, Vassar Clements. They all kind of played together. Nice. Uh, Pitt's ultimate. Pitt's ultimate track, Paranoia Blues. It's another one that I I kind it's okay. I kind of shrug my shoulders at it, but you know, Paul Simon like attempting to do like a you know straightforward blues song yeah it uh, gives me um flashes of james taylor doing blues i'm like oh this is not what you need <laughs> yeah and again as this one this one's about drugs maybe just the hardship of being in the city mm -hmm. uh uh the one standout thing on this is uh this guy stefan another stefan uh grossman he plays the bottleneck guitar he's like a he's like a famous finger style acoustic player and instructor he's got like a whole series of of dvds on how to play uh finger style bottleneck well you know that was kind of cool uh that's a guitar that's a guitar thing i thought jonas was talking maybe about that's what i'm thinking of yeah maybe yeah. um yeah that the guitar in that is is real cool uh, it feels very like guest star mm -hmm. yeah definitely sort of uh, and then the, the very last song is, uh, believe it or not, about his deteriorating marriage. What? Yeah. I thought he was just congratulating us on making it through the album. <laughs> I, I do like the scene, though, of like of all these people lined up at the courthouse. And he doesn't really ex he doesn't really tell you like what they're in line for, because, you know, you go to the courthouse for both things. Right. To get married and get divorced. And so. <laughs> So is he, is he like, I just picture 
someone like congratulating everyone on going in to get married uh-huh. and then also congratulating turning and then congratulating everyone coming out on their divorce the <laughs> yeah. for whatever you do i'm sure you're in a better place no matter what yeah yeah congratulations on 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 succeeding and failing yeah yes <laughs> uh so yeah that's that's it that's that's uh the whole album there i i I mean, it's a good closer. It's, it's you know, it's downbeat, but kind of tongue-in-cheek, kind of funny sort of thing. Yeah. I think they're definitely, obviously, they're the two standout songs. I don't think he wrote any of this album for, with other people in mind. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he gave a shit if anyone ever listened to it or liked it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's my, they're good, great songs. Yeah. It, it does not seem like a, uh, you know, Paul Simon trying to get other people to listen to his music sort of album. <laughs> Which, <that> makes- <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it's kind of funny. He he kind of, yeah, it was like a big change from anyway. Like he, you know, his his duo had broken up. He's mm-hmm. he's teaching songwriting. This was going to be his first like real record, and he had some like there are some issues between uh, Columbia and warner brothers like it was first put out by columbia but then then warner brothers took it over and i i'm, I'm reading uh, a book right now about like you know the record industry in the 70s and i remember there is one small part about like paul simon and the the executive um at columbia just like hated his fucking guts it was like he he was they were like total enemies so um so it, it, I mean, reading about how like the you know the like, it switched like labels and then went back to Columbia. Mm-hmm. Um, the and the personnel. So there's a lot of Wrecking Crew guys on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the drums, the all the piano is done by uh, uh, the, you know famous Wrecking Crew piano player. And um, what else? I think we kind of we. We covered the you know Jimmy Cliff guys, the Los Incas guys. Yeah, Spinoza uh, is on it. The yeah, guy Sp- played with the Beatles and stuff. Yeah, Spinoza, not not the Beatles collective. The, like he worked with all of the Beatles separately. <laughs> he, he probably went work with Art too. He liked to just he liked to go between do songwriting duos and work with them when they split up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot of the percussion was done by. Oh, I, I, I don't know. I can't pronounce the guy's name. He's a Brazilian guy. Um, Arito Moreira, maybe. I don't know. But he was uh, he was a big part of Miles Davis's Bitches Brew. He did a lot of the percussion on that. Nice. Um, yeah, and yeah, that's that's the personnel. There's a lot of he had a lot of uh, a lot of good players on this. Um, uh, accolades. Is that a guy that? That's what he, you guys were just talking about. I'm sorry. What's it? What did you say? I saw David Spinoza and I'm like, oh, oh I've heard that name before, but I've heard it because. Yeah, he's, he's the guy that he only I works. With someone else up when you were. <laughs> he only works with <laughs> bands if they've broken up. Yes. That's, that's his thing. Yeah. He'll, and then he'll... he talks, he talks major shit about the other one when he's with the one. <laughs> oh, of course. And he's like, Paul was such a dick, man. You're way better than he was. I'm like, oh, I know. It's like I no, mean, that's what I heard. no way that's true. <laughs> this is, by the way, this is second episode in a row where someone that's worked with the Beatles is on an album, and uh, and we have to talk about them. 
What was last week's album? We did Aretha Billy. Franklin. Aretha so Franklin's uh, album and Billy Preston. Preston was on it. Yeah. Yeah, Preston played on it. Yeah. Uh, and she co- and she covers Long and Winding Road. Yeah. I mean that list of people that have worked with the Beatles is very small. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the the accolades. Uh, so this album it peaked at number four on the pop charts, U.S. pop charts. How? And it made it it made it to number one on the U.K. main charts. Hmm. So the the English loved him a lot more. But he had built that early fan base from the first record. Yeah, there. exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's cer- it's certified platinum. Um, wow. So the Rolling Stone, <laughs> Rolling Stone, uh, in 2012, it listed as 268 out of 500. But then eight years oh, later, oh, that's higher. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Eight eight years later, they knocked it down to 425 out of 500. Good, because that was uh, that would have been higher than Aretha's, and I think Aretha's yeah. record's better than this one. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then so, there's some book called the All-Time Top 1000 Albums. Uh, I've never heard of it, but you know, apparently people like it. Uh, this actually just got in right under the wire at 984. <laughs> 72 was a, that was a hot year. I'm looking at the uh, UK charts. Yeah, well, don't. Okay, great. Just, that would no be a, spo- a spoiler. No spoiler. <laughs> The rest of our years. Right. Start, start, just start reading them off one by one. <laughs> Slowly uh, and clearly. So, um, so yeah. Overall, I think you know, it's it's a good album. I've listened to it a few times. I, I would probably put it on again if you know. I just I felt like it, but yeah, overall it's okay. Yeah, and like, I think it's a really nice background album. Yeah, and like yeah. you like you said for like Paul Simon fans like yourself. Uh, you know, you, you would you would definitely reach for something else. You know, probably a, a, little, a little later. Probably, yeah, probably a Graceland or you know something else, right? I mean, Graceland's just in it's in the top five albums of all time. Yeah, yeah, so good. And uh, yeah, good. again, talking about like you know, seeing like his influence on on modern people, like I couldn't help but think about you know people like The Shins or Vampire Weekend. Mm-hmm. These guys mm-hmm. that that yeah. really. Kind of took his sound but um yeah um i had to look up when willie nelson released redheaded stranger because there are definitely some points in this album where i'm like this sounds like he's just trying to do redheaded stranger but that came out in 86 so oh. it's probably yeah so yeah influencing each other yeah uh so yeah jonas tell us uh it, you got an album or a song or something that you would recommend um well, I was going to recommend Redheaded Stranger because I have Willie Nelson tickets. Oh, yeah. Cool. April here in Indiana. Uh, it's just a great album. If you yeah. like storytelling albums and, you know, stripped down acoustic stuff like some of this album is, that's a, that's a great way to go. Yeah. Songs that everybody knows, but, you know, a lot of people don't. You, the whole album, listening to the entire album on its own in order is, is a fun experience. Yeah, actually, I'm I'll, I'm gonna add that to my my queue right now. Uh, and I think it, I think it's funny how many people don't realize Willie Nelson has a concept record. Yeah, right. And and it's really really good. It's so really that good. Helps. 
Uh, well, yeah. What, I mean, thanks for uh, being on the podcast with us, Jonas. So you you still doing comedy? You got anything coming yeah, up? Yeah, occasionally. I don't have anything coming up, but uh, huh. I still do comedy sometimes. Yeah, cool. Just here in town, mostly in Bloomington. So if you come out to the comedy, I, I'll probably be there. Maybe not <laughs> doing comedy, but I'll probably be around. Yeah. Well, maybe you'll you'll yeah you'll be doing like a tight three minutes out in the alley. Something. Yeah, I'll just come to your table and do a couple jokes. Yeah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, our sign off is happy birthday, or sorry, happy 50th birthday. Happy half a cinch. <laughs>